Okay, well, hello everybody. I'm Melanie, and today I want to tell you a little bit about my missions trip to um, the Philippines. Um, in uh, October, uh, for about three weeks, I went to Manila, uh, which is the capital of the Philippines, um, to um, help out in the slums there. So today, I want to tell you a little bit um, of context to about Manila, a couple of facts, and then um, introduce you to a couple of people who really had a big impact on my life um, when I met them and, and how they um, really challenged my thinking and showed me more of who God is. So, Manila is um, made of about 7,000 islands. Um, doesn't look like 7,000 over there, but um, that generally is what the Philippines looks like. I was in Manila, Metro Manila area for most of my time, and then I went down south to um, another island to help with the youth camp there. The population is um, over 100 million people, um, with 14 million people in Manila. So just to give you some context, um, there's about 35 million people in all of Canada. And uh, in BC, there's about 4.6 million people. So it's um, all of BC times three squashed into one city, uh, how dense Manila is. Um, uh, um, the Philippines is actually one of the fastest growing economies um, in all the world, uh, but when you go there, you actually see widespread poverty. Um, and that, of course, is very interesting, and you wonder where is all that money going. Um, and, you know, there's been years and years of government um, corruption. There's a lot of bribery. Um, there's a, a lot of the public institutions are not actually helping the people. So what you get is when you go to the hospital, um, somehow there's no services, there's no medicine, um, you know, the schools are lacking resources, um, and it, it really is becoming, it is very oppressive for the people there. Uh, in terms of religion, um, the people are highly religious, actually. So uh, they have a, um, uh, a history of Spanish colonization, so it means that they, and most of them are Catholic or, or they have a Catholic background. But to them, God is more of a good luck charm. So everywhere I went, there were symbols of God. There were crucifixes, there were, um, you, know, um, you know, Jesus everywhere, and on the buses even, this is, you know, God bless you. But to them, you know, they, they think, you know, maybe I should put a crucifix in my bus and it'll keep me safe. I better put a picture of Jesus in my home and that will keep me safe. So, um, you, if you take a look at Manila, it's, it is extremely dense. In some of the slum areas, it's so dense, they say there's about 80,000 people in a square mile. Um, and like I said, um, the poverty is widespread. So you see this type of housing all over the place. This is one of the slums where I was. Um, in other places, um, one of the most notorious slums is the garbage dump slum. Um, it was known as Smoky Mountain. Uh, there are actually several garbage dump slums. And what the people do is, um, because there's no money, there's no food, they scavenge for metal, for cardboard, for plastic, and they sell it. Um, they began living on the garbage dumps, actually, as well. And um, it's uh, extremely difficult. Um, many children and families are there. Um, and they're dying from respiratory diseases, infections, 
all kinds of things. And when there are natural disasters as well, um, it makes it all the harder. Um, the Philippines has um, some of the, is actually the, one of the highest number of natural disasters happens in the Philippines. Um, so you get flooding and typhoons. Um, this is actually from Typhoon Yolanda about two years ago. And it uh, wreaks havoc. Um, they're also on fault lines, so um, earthquakes are quite prevalent there. And the day I landed, there's a typhoon. Two days later, there's an earthquake. Um, and uh, uh, just uh, last week, there was another typhoon that hit the south where I was in Calapan. Um, what did I do there? I went through a uh, mission organization called OMF International. That's Overseas Missions Fellowship. But they partner with a ministry uh, there that works in the slums. And this ministry is actually started by a Canadian. And um, the, uh, um, it's now entirely run by locals. So it actually is separate from the organization I went to, but I went with, but I um, helped out with these guys. It's called Bukangi YY, named Dawn for the Poor. And what they do is uh, they don't have uh, um, church buildings, so they mainly do house churches. Um, this was a Sunday school that I visited, and it's just in somebody's home. Um, they run preschools, so they have some buildings that are preschools, and I helped out with those as well. Uh, this is the Livelihood Center, and they try to give people some vocational skills as well. So you'll see a sewing machine in there. At the back, you might see actually some ooh, laser pointers. There we go. Um, those are, uh, that's detergent, and they mix detergent, and they sell it. Um, they also take um, uh, some of these, the, the garbage left from packaging, and they weave it into bags as well, and they sell that too. Um, this guy here is screen printing. I stayed in li the Livelihood Center for a couple of nights and just slept there. Um, and he was um, there all night doing screen painting. He's developing the negatives and then the screens, and they don't, obviously don't have a lab, so he would mix the chemicals and then put the film in and shove it in the washroom and close the door because that's the only place where you can get dark. Um, and he uh, didn't have a, you need a pressure washer um, to, uh, to develop that, um, and he just had this, you know, you pump it yourself and you spray it, um, and there's some of the T-shirts that they sell as well. Um, I spent a lot of time in this slum, this is Welfareville, um, and uh, you'll see me there. It's uh, the housing um, ranges from, you know, sort of haphazard uh, pieces of wood and, and corrugated metal to some more established homes, and you'll see alleyways and concrete buildings and that type of thing. I made some new friends as well. Um, <laughs> It, we had great fun because they decided to sleep over. So I, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> had some cockroaches, and then two nights there was a gecko in my room. And uh, one night I stayed in a place called Kogeo. That's a, that's a slum that's more in the hilly, mountainous areas. And there were seven roosters outside my window. So uh, <laughs> it was pretty noisy all night long. They don't just crow in the morning. <laughs> Um, I helped out with some of the preschool, so uh, my background is uh, in librarianship. I did some reading and singing with the kids and whatnot. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I spoke at various 
um, meetings. Uh, this is a health seminar where I gave my testimony. Um, I also did some training with the leaders, um, with preschool and ministry leaders. Um, uh, and here I went to a youth camp in the south in a place called Calapan. Um, and it's a camp for youth and college age kids. What I want to do today is actually um, tell you about some people I met. And uh, one of these people is uh, Prince. Uh, Prince is a, a student. She's what they call a scholar. She's one of the kids that is sponsored by the ministry. And I stayed in her home for one night. Prince lives in this little home in Welfareville with her grandma. And it was strange that she lived alone with her grandmother. Usually the families live together and there's 10, 15, 16 people living in a little tiny place. Um, you know, we got to talking and we, we talked late into the night. Um, and in the morning I picked up a, uh, a framed newspaper article. and It was about a lady who had died in the slums from cancer. And she said to me, that's my mother. She died five years ago um, from cancer. And she pointed to a picture on the wall, and she said, that's my sister. She died two years ago of asthma. And there was a little picture of a boy. And she said, that's my brother. He died uh, when he was five. He was hit by a car. And underneath was a picture of an older man. She said, that's my uncle. He died when he was, when he was sleeping. And we don't know why. She said, my father's not here. He's left. And her father had left her um, and gone to the province and uh, started another family. And, you know, I, I talked with Prince. I said, what do you want to do? Um, you, know, you know, you're taking university. She was um, studying business administration. She said, you know, actually, I want to be a teacher. Or uh, maybe I want to be a counselor. I want to help youth. And uh, she was already serving with the ministry, um, helping with the youth, and she was there at the camp. And, you know, it really made me think. Um, I could see that she was very hopeful. She was not depressed, um, even though she had lost so much. And it made me ask the question, um, how do you hope? What do you hope in when circumstances are so bad, when circumstances are not changing? Um, for many of the people in the slums, they're told at a very young age, you just accept this. This is what your life is. There's nothing else. And there's a lot of hopelessness there. Even when they get an, if they get an education, they'll try to get jobs. The society is extremely oppressive there. And there's so many stories of people, you know, you know, getting hired somewhere and, you know, two weeks later there's no wages. And three weeks later, later there's no wages. And it's the people who own the businesses just don't pay the people. Or they take advantage of them. Um, and so it's so hard. Um, and, uh, you know, the definition of hope, when we think of it, we think of, you know, it, you, you wish for something to happen. You want something to happen. But, you know, there's another definition of hope. And the meaning is a definition, uh, sorry, an expectation or a feeling of trust, of anticipation. And I think God's definition of hope is more along these lines. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> Go back a little bit. First um, Peter 1.13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Another translation says, 
Place your confidence completely in what God's kindness will bring to you. And so that's where we put our hope. It's not in the hope that your circumstances would change, because sometimes they don't. It's rather knowing that God is going to bring good into your life. And that even though things are hard, that he, his kindness is there. His favor is there with you. This is her grandma. When I was staying there, she cooked me tilapia fish. Uh, they didn't have a stove. They just sort of cooked it over a propane tank. And in the evening, we ate on the concrete floor. And in the evening, there's just enough space for four bodies along uh, the floor. And so we pulled up some mats and slept together. Um, and, you know, as I think about Prince, as I think about hope, this verse came to mind. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful, your, uh, for your faithful love, O oh Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. And we know that God's plans are good. And God, there's nothing that can stop his plans for us. And um, it says here that he will work out the plans. It doesn't depend on us. The other thing is that we can depend on his faithfulness, on his love. And we know that this is true that he will help us because we are his. It says that we belong to him. I want to tell you about another person I met. This is Pastor Fred. Uh, there are two pastors who are part of the Bukangli YY ministry. And Pastor Fred is one of them. And I stayed in his home for an evening. Um, Pastor Fred's father was what they call a shaman or faith healer. Or you might know them as witch doctors. And uh, he cast spells and he used amulets to heal people or to cast out demons or spirits. Um, and Fred, growing up, he wanted to be like his father. And at a young age, he learned a lot of those spells. He watched his father and traveled with his father, um, who went around to different villages to heal people. And his father died when he was 10. So Pastor Fred was actually a garbage picker. Just for his family to survive, he would go to the dumps and he would pick garbage. Um, and later, when he was older, um, he began to follow in his father's footsteps to um, start to heal people using spells and incantations, uh, using amulets. When he was 14, though, uh, he, he was invited to one of the youth camps that this ministry runs. And he actually accepted Christ uh, when he was there. But he was confused. Um, to him, he also, you know, he was dealing a lot with the spiritual realm. He would call on spirits to heal people. He would feel the spirits there. Um, and uh, he said that, um, you know, the more that he started healing people and calling on spirits, the more afraid he became. And he says he remembers distinctly one time that he was healing a girl who had fever. Um, and he cast a spell, and it left her immediately. But he said, I didn't feel good. I just felt nothing. Didn't feel happy. And you would think that I would feel happy if I were helping somebody. But all I felt was emptiness. And more and more as I healed people, I felt emptier and emptier until I began to despair, actually. And he said he was so confused. And... Um, 
as a faith healer, as a, as a witch doctor, he joined an association sort of type thing. It's almost like a cult, though. And the leader of this association, you worshipped him like, um, like a god, almost. And he said, I would pray to the leader, and I would pray to God, too. And finally, I didn't know what to do, so I just cried out. Um, and he said, you know, if there's a God, would you show yourself? And he said God came to him in a dream. And he said, I am God. And Pastor Fred wasn't convinced. He said, look, if you're God, you show me that you're more powerful than these spirits that I call on. And he said, looking back, that, of course, you know, he was, he was being a little cheeky, you know, asking God to reveal himself. But he asked God to, to do things like change the weather, to heal people. And God did it. And he said it was amazing. And he was finally convinced that God was more powerful than those spells and the other spirits that he called on. Um, and now he, uh, you know, he's a pastor there. And things are difficult, continue to be difficult for him. Uh, his family, of course, was very angry when he gave up being um, a shaman. Um, when you leave this type of society, this association, this cult, um, it's very difficult to leave as well. Um, ministry there is also very difficult. He, um, uh, they, they depend a lot on sponsorship. And even to this day, the ministry leaders there, they operate under minimum wage. Minimum wage over there is about $13 a day. Um, and uh, they, you know, they don't have enough resources. Um, they're... Uh, a lot of, you know, with the natural disasters, there was a huge fire in the slum that I was in um, about three weeks ago. And um, it destroyed a lot of things. And it, it's, it's very difficult over there. And I, I was so inspired by his faith at the um, perseverance that he had. And it made me think, too, about, you know, what people turn to for healing as well. I mean, the desperation there is real. Uh, when you don't have medicine, when things are hard, when people are dying, and they turn to spirits for help. And I wondered, you know, what do I look to to fix my life, to get healing? Um, and what makes me turn away from God and go to something else? This is the fire that happened recently. Um, and uh, this is sort of the aftermath there. Uh, recently as well, I mentioned that there was a typhoon in the area um, just uh, where I was doing the youth camp. And um, after the typhoon, there's about, in some areas, have been buried under um, over three meters of rubble, actually. And this is one of the uh, places where they were meeting for uh, Bible study, actually. The last person I want to tell you about is somebody named John Marie. Uh, John Marie is one of the youth leaders uh, who came to some of my training sessions. Um, he also, uh, one evening, came uh, with a whole bunch of other guys who were going to work on um, screen painting in the Livelihood Center. And I was sleeping there. So they stayed there until about 5 in the morning, screen painting by hand. Um, and uh, he came to me, and he, he wanted to talk, actually. Um, and later, he, um, he sent me his uh, testimony, and, and he said, share this. Share this with the people. Share this with your church. So I'm just going to read you what he sent me, actually. He said, 
Before, I thought that human life was useless and meaningless. I was so tired of trying to make up or find something that would give me a reason to live. I watched in one of my favorite anime shows that if I died, I would live again in the world. And I felt great sadness, because if that was true, God had just created me to die. I was so wearied and burdened. I had a lot of problems when my father was sick. We needed money to buy medicine, and my mom needed to stay in the hospital to take care of him. I didn't want to go to school because I didn't have a deeper reason to study. So I went to the mall, my friend's computer shop, or anywhere just to make myself happy. I would go with my classmates and get drunk and steal in the supermarket. My parents thought that my grades were good, but then they saw my grades slip. And I had a lot of missed school and failed grades. And they asked me why I didn't want to go to school. I couldn't tell them what the reason was. My dad hurt me, punched me, and hit me because I didn't listen to him. But the emptiness and brokenness inside my heart was more painful than what he did to me physically. I continued my studies because I realized that cutting classes was boring too. So I went to school not to study, but to get the sponsorship allowance. And he was part of, he was one of the sponsored kids, and they get a little bit of allowance as long as they go to school. But even though my motive was wrong, I finished my studies. After graduation, my mom asked me if I wanted to go with her to one of the Bukangli YY youth camps, and I accepted her invitation. But before the camp, I went to a party and drank alcohol. I said to myself that this was the last time I would drink. After the party, there was a guy who tried to attack me and my friend with an ice pick. The guy didn't hit me, but my friend was wounded, so we brought him to the hospital. At that time, I realized that God had protected me. I attended youth camp with all my heart, and God used people in that ministry to help me know Christ. And now I understand that God loves me, died for me, and he has a purpose for my life. In April 2012, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And my life verse is Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, I don't know where you're at, but his story really made me reflect. Do I, do you understand what he understands? That he loves us, that he died for us, that he has a purpose for our lives? And know that deeply. Not just, you know, growing up in church, you sort of, you absorb it, but you don't know it. Because if God loves us and values us, values us, There's no need for us to create our own sense of worth. There's no need for us to compare ourselves to other people. If Jesus died for us, then there's freedom from guilt. There's freedom from fear of failure. And if God has a purpose for our lives, it means we know who we are. It means you know what you're meant to do. It means you know where you fit in the world and where you belong. And, you know, sometimes we wonder about this. You might catch yourself wondering why you're here and what you're doing. Maybe when a crisis hits or some strange moment in time when something hits you. But really, most of us go through life without really thinking. We're so absorbed uh, and we mindlessly just follow routines. And, you know, we're always preoccupied with fixing the small annoyances of life. And, you know, the small things take over our lives. One of my coworkers 
you know, when you're, you're doing work and sometimes your day is just eaten up by those small things, those emails and, you know, uh, the, the phone calls and you never get to the big things. And she said, it's like being nibbled to death by ducks. And, and it is, you know, it's just it, your time and your life is eaten up by the small things. And you never get to what's important. You never think about what's important. But the truth is that we are. We were eaten up inside by the frantic pace, by the meaninglessness in our lives. And underneath, there's a restlessness. And we're looking for the next concert. We're looking for the next job. You're looking for the next thing that's going to give you peace. And you, so we wonder, you know, how, how do we find that kind of purpose? Where is this rest? How do we get rid of this weariness? And I think the answer is actually in the next part of this verse. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you think of a yoke, you think of cows pulling something, a plow or a cart. Usually there's two. It might be two oxen and two donkeys. And why would God ask us to carry a yoke? And a yoke actually makes the burden easier for a cow. So instead of strapping it on with rope, you're using a tool that uh, makes it more efficient to pull something. I also think that, I mean, it's shared, right? Because there's two pulling it. So if it's Jesus' yoke, he is pulling with us. And what he's giving us here, it says, my yoke is easy. And easy, uh, in the original translation, does not mean lack of difficulty. It means well-fitting. And so what the Father gives us is what is appropriate and, and well-fitting for our lives. God knows what we need. He knows the things that will teach us, that will shape us to become the people that we should become. Um, And I think, you know, when we think about purpose in life, when we're looking for that rest that he gives, I think rest comes from accepting the purpose that he gives us. You know, after coming back, um, after seeing so much, uh, and there's, a lot of poverty and desperation there. Um, it really made me think about this hope and purpose. Because even though there is, the, the, things are so dire there in some situations, when I met the ministry workers, it's not how I felt. I saw such hope and such purpose. And I know that God has done this for me too. And I could see how God had allowed experiences in my own life so that he can show me his hope and his purpose. When I went, I wondered what I could say to these people. You know, I, we are so wealthy here. Um, and sometimes we don't, we don't think that, but we are. We have so much. And I thought, you know, when I go there, what, what could I possibly say uh, to them that would be encouraging? Um, and, and, but, you know, God used what I have experienced in my life, um, and he had already prepared me. He prepared me in many ways. Um, practically, when I went there, I mean, to, to read stories and um, do some training, and that's my work background, that's my ministry background. Um, 
But I really thought about, you know, when they asked me to speak, to give testimony, I thought about what are the things that they face. And a lot of it's uncertainty. It's fear. It's loneliness. It's pain. It's the things that we also experience in our own lives. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how much money you have. There is pain, and there is pain here. And we see it in our own communities, in our own lives. And so I shared. I shared about how I have lupus, an immune disease, and how it can flare up unexpectedly, and the type of uncertainty that brings, um, the struggles uh, that that brings. I talked about, um, you know, the hurt that you, you feel when you see family hurt or you see friends hurt um, when things happen um, and you can't do anything about it. Um, I talked about the, my own struggles with learning to forgive and to love in relationships because we all go through that. Um, and the brokenness that was there, um, the pain that you see, it's also here. And so we can share that together. And, you know, when we talk about hope, hope is, is like I said, it's knowing that God brings good out of your, out of your life, into your life, um, and it doesn't matter what happens, that he can bring his kindness and his goodness there. And I could see how God was bringing good out of what I saw as painful experiences. They suddenly became gifts. And in a way, I was so glad to have these things. And I want to share with you a story that I shared at the youth camp. Um, you know, the Bible talks about uh, how God purifies us um, uh, like silver and gold. And, and you can see in this verse, Malachi 3, 2 to 3, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and refine them like gold and silver. And um, there's a story of a woman who, who, who saw this verse and she wanted to find out what a silversmith does and how that relates to this verse. And so she went to see a silversmith and um, she saw him, you know, he was holding the silver in the middle of the fire. And he explained to her that when you refine silver, you have to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames are the hottest to burn away all the impurities. And she asked him, well, do you have to sit there the whole time watching it? Because it takes a long time. And he said, I must keep my eye on the silver the whole time it's in the fire. If the silver is left a moment too long in the flames, it will be destroyed. And how do you know when that silver is finished, when it's refined, she asked. And he smiled at her and he answered. He said, that's easy. I know, when, I know it's done when I see my reflection in it, when I can see my image. And so, I, I think this story really sort of hit me too there, um, that in the fire of some of those trials, of those difficult things, that God can bring good and beauty out of those things. And it's, Hope that God is creating um, good things. Um, and you know that pain can be used to create an awareness of need, that we actually need God. Um, it can wake us up out of that mindless routine that we have and can call us to God's rest. And so, you know, I came back and, you know, I, I have such a deep, a feeling of deep purpose um, and hope in my heart from what I saw. But also when I come back here, I know that God can do it here too. 
And my friend asked me, she said, well, you must be tired. You must be tired of caring for people, tired of, of loving people. And I said, no, it's actually the opposite. I came back, and you, you feel like you want to love everybody. I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm thinking about how can I, how, what can I do to care for somebody, or what can I do um, to help somebody. Um, and I'm excited about, excited about seeing what God will do next. And I hope and I pray that um, this, what you heard today, will also inspire you uh, to know that God um, can bring that hope and purpose in your life just like he did in Manila and as he did in my life too. So thank you so much.